0: This podcast is sponsored by Agapi Match. Agapi Match is a boutique matchmaking service that caters to exceptional singles. To learn more about how I can help you, go to agapimatch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week, I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask an audio question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. In this week's episode, I'm speaking to Jeopardy Champion and author of the new book, Get Ready, A Champion's Guide to Preparing for the Moments That Matter, buzzy cohen buzzy will be joining us as i answer your dating and relationship questions buzzy cohen took america by storm during its 10 game run on jeopardy in 2016 his distinctive sharp look broad knowledge base and irreverent sense of humor captured people's attention like no other contestant had before this led to coverage on the likes of buzzfeed and vanity fair as well as appearances on good morning america and entertainment tonight winning the 2017 tournament of champions only bolstered his position as a fan favorite His gutsy bets and his playful attitude with Alex Trebek and other contestants made his competition an all-time favorite for many viewers, including yours truly. Cohen returned as one of the six captains for the season 35 All-Star Games, where his charm and personality took center stage among such luminaries as Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter. He is often cited by no less than the New York Times as a possible replacement for host Alex Trebek. Tens of thousands of people take the online qualification exam for Jeopardy every year. And only 0.4% of these hopefuls will appear on the show. Buzzy maintains that he wasn't actually the smartest contestant in the bunch. He just trained smarter than his competitors with his quirky strategies and obsessive techniques. From wearing suits every day, imagine that during COVID, to studying while hanging from a chin-up bar. Once he realized how much it could be accomplished with great preparation, he became a prep fanatic, testing his theories on everything from deadlifting to tap dancing. In his new audiobook, Get Ready, a champion's guide to preparing for the moments that matter, Buzzy draws on his own experience as well as interviews with other top performers, from musicians and federal prosecutors to glassblowers and competitive coffee brewers to teach listeners how the unique preparation method he developed can help them train for high-pressure performance situations in their own lives, interviews, exams, speeches, and even dating. That is the longest intro I've ever done. Welcome, (laughs) Buzzy Cohen.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I hope I earned that long intro. It must be so
0: weird to be talking about dating, but I feel like it makes sense when it comes to
1: preparing. Yeah, totally. I mean, I love talking about anything that you can prepare for. And I think I even talk about dating in the book because I think it's one of those things that a lot of people have a hard time with. And and even if they're great people, it's a skill that sometimes is underdeveloped. So I'm really mm-hmm. happy to be talking to you about this.
0: So tell me about yourself. Where are you originally from?
1: I'm originally from New Jersey. Um, Where are New Jersey? I'm from, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from um, Short Hills, New Jersey, in Northern okay. New Jersey. Um,
0: There. See, see, this is how you know you're talking to a Jersey person. You said said Northern Northern. New Jersey, because I'm from Central.
1: Okay, that's a place.
0: And you went to Columbia. What did you study at Columbia University?
1: um, I majored in music, music composition and theory.
0: Do you play instruments?
1: I do. Yeah, I play um, piano and saxophone and guitar. But I, when I was young, when I was about 13, I got arthritis in my hands. So. I don't, I stopped kind of being a performer and put more emphasis on, like I said, things like composition. I still work in music. I I own my own company doing music for commercials, but I don't do any of the, I do music supervision, which is like finding songs for commercials. And then I hire composers to write music for commercials.
0: Is it my imagination or did Alex Trebek Um, introduce you as a music producer
1: but uh, my intro on the show is a music executive because it's sort of like okay yes music executive (laughs) I you know a catch-all that I don't You know, really though,
0: listen, listen, here, I remember <laughs> that. I remember saying like, oh, a music executive, wow. And he knows all this trivia. I don't know. It just kind of made me think a little bit. And so, okay, so you didn't bachelor, you didn't do your bachelor's in trivia. How did, did you not. get into trivia?
1: <laughs> I got into trivia as a kid, actually, uh, growing up in New Jersey. And I just loved watching Jeopardy, actually. It wasn't much more than that. I loved watching Jeopardy. I had these um, Brain Quest cards, which when I was a kid, like when we were on road trips, my mom would, just hand them to me. And I would love brain quests. Yeah. Yeah. I would just pound through those. I was a horrible sleeper as a kid. And my grandfather got me the uh, world book encyclopedia that was in a bookcase next to my bed. And I would just stay up all night. Like before you could do Wikipedia wormholes, I was doing that with my world book encyclopedia, where I would like think of something, look it up. And then, uh, you know, something in that article would make me think of something else. And my mom always tells the story about coming into my room in the morning and there would be a stack of encyclopedias next to the bed because I'd just like been going through them going through them. Um, Did you so, do Encarta as a kid too when that came out? I remember Encarta being a thing but I didn't particularly I didn't I didn't have Encarta. I wasn't. So I remember my encyclopedia it was
0: always on the floor because I just could not pick it up
1: and mm-hmm. I would go
0: through it and it was like big uh, You red had like the thing.
1: single single volume I had the multi-volume where it was like like you see at the library or whatever
0: and then when Encarta came out I was like oh okay let's do this and um, it finally got to learn how to pronounce certain words Mm -hmm. because that's a big thing
1: that's a big thing on Jeopardy there's a lot of people that come from crossword the crossword world and so one of the things one of the rules of jeopardy is that if you say it phonetically correctly even if you don't pronounce it correctly they'll count it so if you say giali which a lot of crossword people call it instead of high lie, they will count it because it's just this weird thing where there's this venn diagram of overlap of people who are really into crosswords and people who are into jeopardy so they've they have it happens a lot basically and people on twitter like to be like oh you don't pronounce it like that you pronounce it like that but even in final jeopardy if you spell it phonetically correctly, even if you do not spell it correctly, literally correctly, you will get Mm -hmm. credit.
0: You did not participate in College Jeopardy. You went for the real thing.
1: I did Quiz Bowl in high school, Mm -hmm. um, but I was even irreverent back in high school when I was playing Quiz Bowl, which was, you know, people took very seriously. I got to college and the Columbia Quiz Bowl team was just like, so serious and so intense and I had no interest in that I would I wanted to just like have fun and so yeah I wasn't really until I had already moved out to LA and I got an antenna I, I'm a co- early cord cutter and so I got an antenna to watch the Academy Awards one year and then I had this antenna and I could watch Jeopardy and I started watching Jeopardy again in my late 20s and that was when I applied to be on the show.
0: So tell me more about that.
1: I took an online test, which um, now, if any of your listeners are hopeful, they should really sign up because it used to be they gave the test like once a year online. And now they're doing it where you can anytime go onto the Jeopardy website and decide that you're ready to take the test and and go for it. So I set aside the time I got on my computer and you get, I think, 15 seconds for each question. And I did that. And then um, a few months later, I got called in for an in-person interview. And at that interview audition, they give you another 50 question test. This time I think you have seven or 10 seconds to for every question. And they do that, this is handwritten, right? So if you cheated on the online test, which would be very hard to do, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that in the hotel meeting room. After you take the test, they then have you play some mock games and they do some, you know, mock interviews sort of like you do with Alex Trebek. They have you fill out a little form and um, ask you about some of that stuff, you know, five interesting facts about you. The good thing is that they're very smart, right? So they ask you for five, once once they ask you to be on the show, they ask you for five interesting facts, and then they have like 10 more pages of questions that they ask about you. So it's like, have you met any celebrities? Tell us about that. How did you meet your significant other or... You know, where'd you go on your honeymoon? They start asking all these questions. And usually that material is actually more interesting than what people think is interesting about themselves. And this Um, is what um, Alex Trebek will use when he's showing you, right? So the contestant team then goes through and pulls out five things from that. And on the day of taping, they say, which one do you want to talk about? Or they'll say, I think this one is really good. And they highlight it, but they hand Alex Trebek the card with all of them. And so it's up to him. Like he he can change it up if he looks at something on the card and he thinks something else is more interesting than what you wanted to talk about or what the contestant mm-hmm. coordinator wanted to talk about. He'll go for that. Um, and I've seen that happen where people, you can tell people are ready to talk about something and he goes in a different direction. You and know, sort this of just makes guard. so
0: much sense now because sometimes I see him ask something and they have this look of shock, like, what? Why are yeah. you asking me this? They tell you
1: he's going to do whatever he wants. I think he he really likes to talk about how they met their spouse or mer- mm-hmm. wedding stories, engagement stories. How really did you meet that. your spouse? I met my spouse. Uh, I was still living in New York at the time, and I met her. Um, I was invited. To, I, well, I, w- I kind of wasn't invited, but I was brought to a dinner party at a friend of by a friend of mine who was also my wife's a mutual friend. So I got brought along to a dinner party. And sat next to my now wife.
0: Did you know that she was
1: someone special at the time? Yes. We both worked in the same industry of advertising and we had another kind of mutual connection. And I spoke to that friend who was in LA that night on the phone when I got back to my apartment because we were working on a project together. And My wife the next day was talking to the other mutual friend in LA saying, you know, like talking and the person I had spoken to walked into the room while my now wife was on the phone and said, oh, I heard you met Buzzy, like kind of in the background. So that gave my wife the clue that I was interested and had talked about her. And um, yeah, she found me on Facebook. Oh,
0: wait, she found you on Facebook?
1: Yeah, I think so. Cause it was hard to find her, but she found me on Facebook and then she was in New York for like six or eight weeks or something for a project that she was working on. She'd already moved to LA. And at that point I was talking to the company I was working for at the time about moving to LA. I was coming out to LA a lot for work. I love left. that
0: she can basically she made the first move to let you know, Hey, ask me out. Is this what happened? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally. I love that. Yeah. I would have made the first move. I couldn't find her. But yeah, she she found me.
0: That's amazing. <sighs> yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So let's talk about your book. In your book, I feel like there's a difference. And I think this is also the name of your first chapter. It's like the difference between planning versus preparing. Mm-hmm. And I think when I look at dating, people really plan for chemistry, but they don't prepare for compatibility. We do this thing called group coaching intensive for our female members. And the one thing that we try to do, especially now in COVID, because it's impossible to judge chemistry when you're not meeting in person, um, is how to prepare to identify for compatibility, like long-term compatibility. So why start off with
1: planning versus preparing? Like what is the difference? Planning is essentially an act of fantasy. When you make plans, you are imagining things going a certain way right? We have to have the, when we say, oh, I've I've got a plan, you know, we have to say I'm planning for the worst. If you say I'm planning, you're not implying that the worst, you're keeping the worst in mind, right? Mm -hmm. So planning, you're essentially making a positive fantasy of I'm going to do this and then this is going to happen. I'm going to do this and then this is going to happen. You fail to take into account all the other possibilities of things not going correctly or the premises that you 're working on being false, like oh i 'm going to meet this person, and um, they 're going to really love my glasses, and then we 'll have something to talk about right away and you meet the person they they couldn 't give a shit about my glasses and and they 're worried about something with work or whatever it is, all these other things, mm-hmm. and that 's not part of my plan. My plan was to kick it off with a conversation about glasses because on the picture I saw of them, they had really cool glasses and they show up and they're in contacts or whatever. And you can try to get that plan back on track, but it doesn't always work that way. Preparation is more about getting yourself, as it says, prepared for all of the possible eventualities of the situation. I use the analogy in the book of cooking, right? Planning is like having a recipe. So, okay, I'm going to chop up the onions and cook them for five minutes until they're golden brown and then da da, 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 Right. Well, that's all well and good until you open the fridge. There's no onion or you ch- you don't know what size to chop it or five minutes later, your onions aren't golden brown and things start to, you might be able to figure it out and a lot of us can, but sometimes you can't or your oven. And you know, I, I went on a trip and I was at altitude and everything took longer to cook and you get stressed out and you don't know how to adapt. Whereas a preparer is someone who kind of like learns about cooking, learns how to things like temperature and the size of how something is chopped and how mm-hmm. acid and salt and all these things affect each other. And that's kind of my mindset about being a preparer versus being a planner.
0: I remember at some point in the book, you were talking about other elements that you're preparing for, not just for right. Jeopardy, but even, even like other important parts uh like you said moments that matter and right. some of the ones that really struck a chord with me for instance was you know you wearing a suit for re- every single day so yeah. that you could get used to being in the clothes you're going to be on when you're on TV. Another one was, and I think this is, this is what I think makes you, one of the things I think that makes you a notorious Jeopardy winner is that if you are in a tournament, I believe that you need to have, it's a total wins of two games, right? Correct.
1: Yeah. The finals is two days. Yeah.
0: Right. And so when you were at the tournament of champions in the first game, you lost that
1: game. I, I actually ended with $0. I didn't just lose
0: Yeah. Which meant that you had the steepest hill to win the next game. And um, with people that already had money in their bank. Correct. And one of those things that made you win a lot was when you, uh, I don't know what the right verb is, when you landed on the daily doubles. And there you bet it all. Yeah. That's what brought you up the hill. And you said in your book that to prepare to bet at all, you were using casino apps or
1: betting yeah, apps yeah, on your phone? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had like gamb- different kinds of gambling apps to get used to like making big bets and kind of inoculate myself. Because um, it's all points, right? Until you win, like nothing. And I think that uh, people get sheepish because it's like, oh, this is this is money that I'm playing with, but it's not really money. It's right. it's, it's points. And also, especially after, you know, just 10 15 minutes 20 minutes earlier having bet it all and lost it all you know it makes you less comfortable making a big move like that but if yeah. you are, really prepare yourself and understand the dynamic of what's happening there's only there was only one decision to make right if i wanted to win which i wanted to i had to bet it all if, See, if you kind of is- move yourself out of like oh this went bad just a little while ago and say where am i now what do i need to do right now then it's a lot easier to make that decision
0: I think what you're essentially describing in a more technical way is courage. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, so much of what modern dating is now is courage. And I don't necessarily mean like an online dating app world because you don't need that much courage to swipe. But I've I've been teaching women, you know, don't wait for men to message you because you don't know when they're going to use that app. But if you're matching with someone, just have the courage. Like, what's what's the worst that could happen? He responds and wants to go out with you. Like you know, would you right. really want to date someone who doesn't think it's endearing that a woman reached out to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, in your case,
0: your wife added you on Facebook.
1: Part of the way I was able to be courageous was I had the point of view going into that second game that I had already lost. You know, it was over. I was just, I was like, all right, I'm just gonna like, this is it. This is my last These time These games the are stage. recorded
0: on the same day, right?
1: Yeah, they were recorded 10 minutes after each other. I went oh. backstage, I changed. <laughs> I literally walked backstage, changed my clothes and walked back out and had to have Johnny Gilbert announce that I had zero dollars. And I, you know, I had already made peace with that because I was like, you know what? I played really well. I played hard. There's no way you can win them all. Like in dating, not everyone's going to like you. That doesn't mean that you don't have value. That doesn't mean that you didn't do a great job. For me, it was like, okay, I'm going to just play the best I can, have as much fun as I can, enjoy myself as much as I can. And that allowed me to really relax a lot more. And it will also allow me to say like, hey, this is, you know, I had a better perspective than if I was trying to hold on to a lead or something like that, which is a much, you know, it's a much more um, fraught feeling holding on to a lead than, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm at the back of the pack. I'm just going to swing for the fences.
0: In last week's episode, I was speaking to a public speaking coach mm-hmm. and um, I had said that the three components to a great first date is expectation location, and then conversation. In this context, how can someone prepare to being good at conversation?
1: Well, I think some of the first things that you can do is get used to the situation that you'll be conversing in. People are generally good at conversing, I think, when they feel comfortable. And I think people have a hard time conversing when they aren't comfortable. So I think people who are like, oh, I'm not good at conversation, with with their dear friends with their family, that's not true. It's with, you know, people they don't know in situations that maybe feel higher stakes. And so Mm -hmm. what I would say is by uh, inoculating yourself to those things that change your mindset about the stakes, you can actually prepare yourself for the conversation without necessarily having to focus on the material of the conversation. Well, what did you do to
0: prepare to meet your
1: wife? So I actually had like, I actually did a pretty rigorous preparation. Um, I'm going to shout out my friend Arlen Davich from Randolph, New Jersey. I had gone on a date with this girl I had a huge crush on and it didn't go well. I was really nervous. I showed up after work. I did not have any food in my stomach. And I proceeded to like suck down two, martini, two gin martinis with like in the heat of the summer. And it wasn't that it was a bad date. It wasn't like, I didn't like throw up on her. I didn't like insult her. She didn't like, she didn't like pretend that, you know, her roommate called her in the middle of the day. It just didn't, it just didn't go well. You know, it didn't go as well as I wanted it to. And what Arlen told me is that dating is a skill. Um, You could be the greatest person in the world and you actually might have chemistry with someone or you might be compatible with someone, but if you don't know how to hold yourself and find a way to have a conversation, know how to show up and have one drink and make sure you get some food in you or whatever it is, the date's not going to go well. And so her advice to me, I was pretty young when I got this advice was to go in the next two years, I had to go on 50 first dates. That was a first date every two weeks, roughly. That's a lot. That was a lot. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I made it all the way.
0: How how old are you? How old am uh... I now? no, no, no. How old were you? I was like when were you like, doing
1: these 50 dates in two years? I was probably like 23 or 24.
0: Okay. Well that's
1: doable at that age. That's I mean, totally I, doable. I I had some longer relationships, but in the middle of that, you know, I'd meet someone and kind of date for a while, but that, and, and her corollary for her female friends was to say yes to every, everyone who asked you out, as long as you didn't feel like they posed a, like a, threat to you.
0: I definitely, I'm on that. I I definitely think that you should definitely be open to a first date because best case scenario, you have a second date. That's literally the only best case scenario. And um, the worst case scenario is hopefully you have a lovely dinner with someone who, you know, treated you respectfully. That's what I hope is the worst case scenario.
1: Or if things don't go well, maybe you learn something about how to, uh, I don't know, recognize certain things in people or in yourself or you know like there's different ways for dates to go bad it might be the other person sometimes it's you and so for me a lot of it was getting more comfortable in my own skin and knowing how to kind of so so that was the program she put me on and I would go I went you on You know a that's lot like one thing days. we do
0: with our with our matchmaking clients some of our matchmaking clients are divorced the last time they dated was in the 80s or the 90s mm-hmm. and you know this is pre forget smartphone pre-cell phone Right. So I have to sometimes even coach my clients, you know, Hey, after your date, you, you actually need to text them like, Hey, right. <laughs> had a great time. You know, I think here the practicing, like sometimes I'll have a client say like, I don't want to meet this person. I can tell I'm, it's not going to work out. And I'm like, well, that's okay by me. I, I don't need it to work out with every single person I set you up with. I just need you to go on a date right. so I could see what you're like on a date, but also calibrate my search. You know, you just saying from a few sentences, this isn't a match. It doesn't help me. Totally. But if you go on the date and say, you know, this I can contextualize what I don't like, that helps me so much as a dating professional to get you to the right match.
1: Yeah. And I think experience is the best teacher when it comes to dating and meeting people. And sometimes there are ways to get some kinds of experiences without having to do the thing. Obviously, if you can get out on dates, that's the best way to really figure, figure it out. And if you can't, there are little ways of you know, like having a friend pretend to be on a date with you. Oh, we do mock dates. We Yeah, exactly. You know, like I did mock games for Jeopardy. I did, you know, mock deadlift competitions with myself to get used to everything. And, you know, think about things like the time of day. Right now, it's like the middle of the afternoon and I'm pretty sharp. But at eight o'clock, I'm, you know, basically worthless. And that was one of the things I learned about with Jeopardy. I watched the show at seven o'clock. Uh, like probably everyone or most of the people do, or 7, 7.30, they tape the show at 10 a.m. Uh, you have to be at the studio at 7.30 or something to go get briefed and do makeup and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I'm not a morning person. And so I had to start doing my preparation at the time I was going to be um, taping so that I could get used to what my brain worked like. And I think mm-hmm. dating is a similar thing. Like we think- It's absolutely you know, similar. We We think about- in the middle of the day, maybe we have a date that night and we're like, oh, you know, maybe we think about, you know, we review kind of like what, what we know about this person or whatever, you know, we kind of do rehearsals, right? We're, we're always kind of doing these rehearsals. And then at eight o'clock, you're, you've gone through another five hours of work and you're like all of that. You're so fuzzy, right? So how do you start to prepare for the fuzziness?
0: I mean, I feel like if there are certain people that can't throw away their work persona by seven p.m., just start doing your dates, your first dates on weekends.
1: Yeah, totally. Like,
0: stop if you can't get into the place where you're no longer in work mode. Just, just do weekend dates. It's okay. Like, there's nothing or Friday dates or something. Like, you need to
1: right. Well, or the other, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is like, um, kind of dragging certain activities to certain times. So if there is something that is like fun for you to do, do that on like weeknights at eight o'clock, even if you go back to doing work, like, if it's like doing karaoke or playing some sort of game or blah, 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 do that on weeknights at eight, and then go back to work so that you can get used to like switching your mindset at that time, you know, practice making that change in your brain chemistry.
0: I believe that there are five ways that you can determine long-term compatibility in no particular order, financial, spiritual, physical, um, emotional, and intellectual. And somebody sent me a question for you about intellectual compatibility. So I'd love to play that.
1: Hi, Buzzy, my name is Jordan, and I have a question about how you think about intellectual compatibility in dating and how you approach this with your wife. I find that a lot of men claim they want someone who can be their match or their equal. Um, But in my personal experience, it seems like a lot of men want someone who's smart, but not too smart. I'm curious to get your take. Thanks. Thanks for that question, Jordan. That was a great question. And it's certainly something, you know, having gone to Columbia, a lot of my female friends have talked about that, like after school going into the dating pool and meeting people and then sort of being intimidated by Ivy league women, though they're, tons of intelligent women who didn't go to Ivy League school. So I'm not saying that's a um, only domain, but just as a, like an indicator, right? Of of something that might be intimidating. You know, it's easy for me to say this, having the bona fides of Jeopardy and an Ivy League education and stuff. But for me, intelligence has a lot more to do with curiosity than anything else. When I met my wife, she um, had quit her job twice and like traveled around the world and was... Somebody and continues to be somebody who's very engaged with the world in terms of social justice and in terms of wanting to learn about things and know about things. Sometimes insecurity presents itself in a way that feels like threat. Obviously, if it's insecure, it's threatened by intelligence. And I think there's often a way that intelligence can be presented without being threatening. And I'm not suggesting that any woman should pretend to be something she's not. I'm actually probably more talking to men that you you can be an intelligent person without having to prove it to everyone and that was something i did a lot of work on i when i was younger i really like had to be like a smart aleck and always have like a quip and be the show off kind of smart guy mm-hmm. and i've sort of like lost that need i lost that need pretty young like in my 20s i was doing a lot of buddhist meditation and trying to improve myself and that kind of stuff and i was like nobody cares you know
0: I agree with you. My philosophy for women is that you cannot be intimidating. There are just men that are intimidated. And that's, that's That's, that's... exactly. Sometimes I meet women who say, you know, he needs to be smart. And I ask them, well, what does smart mean to you? It's kind of similar to when someone says to me, he needs to be honest. And I ask them, well, what does honest mean to you? You know, you can learn a lot about how people define things. And more often than not, whenever I hear smart, it's either going to be one of two things. It's going to be Um, They have a witty sense of humor, or they're intellectually curious. Right. And there's a lot to be said about intellectual curiosity because, you know, I know people that have PhDs that are quite literally deans of universities, but I don't, I consider them intelligent, but not right. intellectually curious, right? Because right. if sometimes some people, they're very smart in that one domain, like they know this right. one thing. Right. Uh, I mean, you studied music, so I'm sure you know a lot of people in that in that, uh, in that yeah. area, where it's like, all they know is this. And God forbid, if they're at a dinner party, and the conversation just kind I of like goes away from that. I feel like
1: doctors are like the most notorious for that, right? Like, they, they like have nothing to talk about until it's like... Oh, are we, are we talking about your nose and throat stuff? Cause then I'm like ready to go. That's why they're all friends with other doctors, right?
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe. Dissing, I know, I've, nev- doctors. I, I've never thought about that, but possibly, you know, um, I, I do find that, you know what, now that you said that I've noticed that a lot of my doctor clients want to date other doctors. I wonder if that's the reason why. I just, I just think sometimes people need to separate what intelligence is versus Curiosity or. Yes, curiosity, or what you thing. said.
1: Yeah. And I think that the same way that you're saying that like women aren't intimidating, men can be intimidated. I, I 100% agree with that. And I think, like I said, I think that comes from insecurity. And I also feel like I've gone on women who, because of their insecurity about their intelligence, sometimes like play the hand too strong.
0: Oh, yeah. Don't you know who I don't you know what I know? I hate that. Exactly.
1: They exactly. don't just do Incident. that
0: like on dates, they do that. Generally, and not just women. I mean, I feel like men <laughs> yeah. do this more than yeah, yeah, anyone.
1: Totally, and and I think that you know, I'm just kind of like thinking about Jordan's situation. So I think that curiosity, I think, is often a really disarming way to to communicate your intelligence, and it, and curiosity gives a lot of room to for people to talk about themselves, which is usually what people want to do. My curiosity has made it so, like. I've learned a little bit about a lot of stuff. And so my irreverent playful ways, like I meet an architect and I'm like, oh, do you work in BIM? And it's like this one word that I learned about what, archi- what architects do. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, this person cares about, s- or they're like, are you an architect? And I'm like, oh no, I just, you know, and then it's like, oh, but I cared enough to learn and remember this one thing about architecture and all of a sudden you're, they, you're disarming the
0: conversations walls to like actually yeah. cultivate something um i think that's that's like a, backfired that's a really good... on me though
1: that's backfired on me in um, what way i tried to do that with someone once and i got something wrong you know like it was a technical thing and i like said x instead of y and, they're, and they were just totally dismissive like i didn't know what i was talking about instead of seeing the fact that i was trying to connect trying to
0: relate yeah i
1: was trying to relate to them and i'd like confuse something in my head and instead of being like oh yeah yeah yeah, oh you meant this and i can be like oh i'm an idiot they were like just kind of shut it down
0: i want to address jordan's question in two ways the first way is that, like, what do you do about, you know, men who say they want to date smart women, but then they feel threatened, essentially. And to me, it's like, if I don't think you should be dating any man who feels threatened by you. Yeah. But to what you just said, that there is a way of disarming the, I need you to know how smart I am <laughs> because I'm a smart woman, to I want well- you to know how curious I am.
1: I think in the same way that curiosity can disarm our own insecurities, it can also mm-hmm. it, it disarm the insecurities of someone else. So if someone, a man thinks of himself as intelligent, someone else trying to show themselves as intelligent, you know, in a, in a zero sum game of someone's mind might be threatening. But if it's like, oh, I'm curious about your what you know, then all of a sudden they're put in a position where they can share, they get to share, right? right? Instead of it being a, you know, a combative situation.
0: So let me tell you something about um, intellectual compatibility. (laughs) I always tell women, so in the order that you learn what you're compatible with, it's first physical, then it's spiritual, then it's intellectual, and then way later on, is it financial and emotional? And about the intellectual, I always tell women, a man will know if he's intellectually compatible with you, usually within the first date. Mm -hmm. A woman should not know this until date two or three, because I've realized that men have learned how to be really good first daters. Like they'll learn which stories work to get to the second date that you'll right. never really know if you're actually compatible until date two or three or four. This is what I've discovered because right. I remember even... Um, there is a a man that I know in New York that not only did I go on a date with, he's actually dated my entire circle of friends. Uh, we did not know this about each other when it happened. And I think, I feel like we met this way, but when we were comparing notes, we had all gone on the same first date with him. Oh, wow. He has a very, he, he figured it out. He's very charming, very charismatic, uh, makes you feel important uh i mean all signs of a narcissist really but it was a great first date and Mm -hmm. the second and i thought you know i was i remember being really excited and then i go on the second and i'm like oh my god you're so boring what are we what are we doing out with each other and you know him saying i mean for me the worst thing a man could say to a woman on a date is like oh wow you're really smart because there's a tone to that like it's a bad thing i want to go back to the jeopardy thing do you and your wife watch jeopardy still or have you passed that now
1: um, I don't watch it a lot. It's hard to watch it after you've been on the show. Um, Why? The experience of taping the show is so dense. You know, when I was first on, I taped five shows a day, two consecutive days. So it was two weeks of shows in two days. And it's so dense. And it's like, you, it takes a long time to decompress from that. And you, you kind of, it's, it's not PTSD, but you kind of are like, I'm, I need a break. And also, I was doing all this preparation leading up to it. Uh, not my first, not as much my first time, but the second time I was on the show. Again, two tape days, but I was studying and working on the buzzer and watching the show and reading through Clue archives and all this stuff. By the time I taped, I was just like kind of done with it. You know what I mean? Um, and now that I've been on it a few times, I'll, I'll occasionally watch it. I also have two kids, so seven o'clock is a tough time. It's hard to go back to it because it's like it's not as pure. You know, you've been inside. Once you've been through Willy Wonka's factory, chocolate doesn't taste as sweet, you know, because you know (laughs) those Oompa Loompas are toiling away without pay.
0: So the way Jeopardy! words its questions, if you are to watch Jeopardy! uh, several times and you understand how the questions are worded, which there's always going to be one or two clues within the question, I feel like that makes you a good dater because you can kind of use that minefield of dating of picking up different clues right. to get you to the to get you to an organic way an organic level of conversation
1: exactly yeah it's every everyone is communicating a lot more than just what the the story they're telling at any given point right they're they're sharing biographical information about themselves Uh, They're talking about what their values are. And there are ways to tune our radios, right? In the same way that I learned to read a Jeopardy clue and say, okay, there's all this kind of roundabout way. What are they trying to get me to answer? They're trying to get me to figure out the capital of Bangladesh, even though they're talking about shrimp and blah, 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 or whatever, you know, because it was, you know, if you're eating prawns from the Bay of Bengal in this capital city, uh, you're probably here. And it's, you know, the capital of Bangladesh. They're asking in a roundabout way, a very straightforward thing. In the same way we talk about ourselves and we will tell a story about our day and be like, you know, I was so tired. I was out with my friend last night. He just went through a bad breakup. You know, I got to work and da da da, da, da My boss was driving me crazy and uh, I decided to take a long lunch and then I got back. My mom was on the bus. I'm, t- I'm just telling you about my day, but you can a- a- already start to figure out a lot of th- things about me. And about Mm -hmm. my relationship with my family, with my friends, with my work. That, you know, good and bad, right? But you can can start to almost get the color of the story more than just the facts of it. I mean, people are really experts at communicating about About themselves.
0: themselves, (laughs) About themselves.
1: (laughs) And we're doing it all the time. We're telling people what we like and what we don't like all the time.
0: So you have a whole book, all these chapters about preparing. What do you think are... For the purpose of dating, yeah, what are your top three tips?
1: Is, is three a good number? I mean, three is a great number. It's the magic number. You know, I talk a lot about practice and there's a whole chapter about practice. One of the challenges of people have preparing is knowing that they should practice. You know, oh, I prepared for the interview. Did you practice interviewing? No, right. well, you prepared it, you went through the material or you learned about the company or whatever. The same with dating. I mean, I think people, like we said, I thought the, you know, I, I don't know if I hit those 50 first dates in two years, but I thought that that practicing dating was a total revelation for me and really changed, made me so much better and a much more successful dater. Um, I mean, do you know what we do
0: at our, at a, at a match? <laughs> we send out date feedbacks after the date and we ask both people like, how was the date in your own words? And they fill it all out. And sometimes I share like, you yeah. know, if one person says it about you, it's an opinion, but if multiple people start complaining about the same thing, we got to fix that.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the books that I learned a lot from is by Anders Erickson and he has this whole thing. About deliberate practice. And part of that is getting feedback from experts, right? So if you're a tennis player, you could just go and play with your friend every week or hit balls or whatever it is. But if you want to get better, you work with a coach and the coach Mm -hmm. is going to have you do specific drills and also really give you feedback and create a program. And I think that's where, you know, in dating, working with someone like you that can, you know, not only put you on a program of dating, but also get you that feedback one of the Buddhist teachers I had used to tell was about, he said this woman came up to him and went through all these relationships she had been in and how they had, you know, each one had failed or whatever, and it was such a disaster. And he's like, you know what, the common denominator is it's you, mm-hmm. you know, like you're the common denominator in all these failed relationships. Not that people need to take on things that aren't theirs, but, um, oh, no,
0: you know what, though? <laughs> like I hear this, I hear this every Wednesday. When you do ask a matchmaker on Instagram, you know, women will keep saying to me, like, I keep attracting avoidant men. And I think to myself, well, why do you keep dating avoidant men? Right. Because there are men that are not avoidant. And, you know, usually if, if for women who are asking or, or who wants to know the answer to this it's probably because you are really addicted to the excitement of dating an avoidant right. man
1: <laughs> right uh,
0: just flares up the anxiety for for everyone around you so my, yeah my so, okay, wife what's talks the about second. that
1: um a but, lot like her when when we were dating her friends were single it's like she's got to get out of the like she would talk about her friend needing to get out of the dating a, a bartender phase you know it's like that's fun but of course like they're you know the bar the, bartender doesn't often turn into like a boyfriend because they're they're the avoidant man right they're like out every night and it's sort of fun and exciting like you say but they need to kind of like the the guys who they're ignoring because they're not as exciting are the ones who they say they want when they actually describe what they want
0: a man who's not avoidant is a man who's a little boring and that's okay. Like that means that he's predictable and and dependable that that comes off as boring on date one, two, three, you know, it is what it is. Okay. What's the
1: number. What's number two. So I think, yeah, practicing is important. I think context, like thinking about the context, we talked about this a little bit with timing. I think about that with clothing, like what's your internal context going to be in dating and how can you be better prepared for that? Dating isn't, is anxiety filled experience there's no way around that and and i say in the book that anything worth doing is going to be stressful because you it's imp- if it's important to you you're going to be stressed because you want to do well and there's um you know There are all kinds of self-help people that are going to talk to you about, like, finding your place of zen or whatever. And I just don't find that that stuff is as effective as getting yourself used to being stressed out and and not losing it. That was what the chin-up bar was about. The chin-up bar was about making myself feel uncomfortable and still having to know, you know, who the president in um, 1808 was. How do you you know, hold the top of a plank and and recite the periodic table. It's hard to do. It's much, and that's much more like what being on a date or being on Jeopardy is like. So how can you prepare yourself for the time, the feeling, the the physical, emotional, mm-hmm. psychological situation and practice being in that and still having to eat food neatly and talk and communicate and not get lost and not do all the fidgeting and stuff like that, that we do when we get nervous. How do you acclimate yourself to that? You know, it's, it's like an internal environment as opposed to an external environment and how Mm -hmm. can you acclimate yourself to that internal environment?
0: What's the third? You know what I think the third is? I think it's timing, but I don't think it's timing in the way you wrote in your book as much as it's like timing in like, like having decided that I'm going to reverse engineer the search using the time that I have. I mean like you said I guess in the 50 dates in 2 years, but using the time that I have, I'm going to reverse engineer the search and and fi- you know, find the person using these things in my dating
1: toolkit. <laughs> you know, I think I th- I think that related to that there was another side of timing which was I talked about speed versus accuracy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I kind of brought up was basically essentially about recovering. And I think that that's a real skill that um, I built in my dating life that I think is really important. It's like, just cause like something doesn't quite land, doesn't mean that the whole date has to be a disaster. Like how can you kind of recalibrate and and move forward and kind of get the, get things moving again. Mm-hmm. I talk about the analogy. I, I met this guy, I meet all these weird people in my life, but I met this guy who was working he was an engineer. <laughs> Welcome to my
0: life. <laughs> yeah.
1: He was an engineer on the, uh, a California high-speed rail program and one of the challenges they have is building railroads across fault lines because once there's mm. an earthquake those faults shift right and then mm. the tracks aren't straight so I asked him like how do you engineer around that he's like well you can't make a track fault proof so what we do is we try to build the tracks at the right angles so that if they if they do shift and we kind of know how they're going to shift we can repair them quickly and so I think that in dating it's like if something, if you're on a date or you're, or, or even not on the date, but afterwards communicating, texting and something goes wrong. Like, I think we often like, we're like, Oh, it's over. We panic. It falls apart. We blew it. We start, you know, we kind of do the John Favreau and swingers thing and like call someone a hundred times and leave a million messages or, Text fervently, or we just say, "Oh, I I blew it," and kind of turn it off. I think we can start to build better a a better ability to kind of really quickly recover. I think that's something that people are fragile. I think. I mean, I
0: agree with you. I try to, you know, you're married, so this is fantastic that I can like have someone vouch what I'm about to say. But you know what, marriage essentially is. What good marriage is is like forgiving. Uh, I mean, you don't even realize that you're doing forgiveness, but like just kind of having a sense of humor of when Mm -hmm. things get messy in in any way that they get messy. Right. And I think when I watch single people, um, especially at work, like here's what he texted me and here's how I responded. And, you know, like, I'm like, oh, my God, like, stop, stop. Stop talking. Like there's nothing. He didn't say anything that bad, and your reactions and overreaction, and now he's reacting to your overreaction. And the thing is, like, if this was going to be a relationship, there has to be an element of forgiveness. Right. Laugh a
1: little. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I used to have a thing with my wife. We, it's kind of a long story, but we had a cat living under our bathtub that wasn't our cat. It was an outdoor cat. <laughs> there was like a door on the outside of our house at the time to be able to access like the pipes, but mm-hmm. the door had been left open. And so the cat got in and it was living under the bathtub. So it was in our house, but it couldn't get into the house. So whenever we'd be like really like in a fight about something, we'd be like, and we going back and forth. And I was like, and you know what? There's a cat living under our bathtub. And it's just like, we both start laughing and it would totally defuse it. And it was sort of like a, a cue that, like, okay. Yeah.
0: My husband and I—we also, I said this in the previous episode. My my husband and I we have um we have this line from this Greek porno. It's it's just an intro that's on YouTube that we both like. I think is very popular in Greece, um, where the guy just goes simple as this, like. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, he just says it out of nowhere, like he's speaking Greek, and then all of a sudden he goes, "Simple as this," and it's it's just funny among Greek people. And my husband and I we use that as our diffuser. So it's like you're fighting, yeah. fighting, fighting. Simple as this, and yeah. it just we just start laughing. That's definitely our diffuser. I listen. That's preparing for the bad moments that is going to happen in every relationship.
1: I think that it's hard in the beginning of a relationship when you haven't built the rapport to be able to mm-hmm. do that, but you have to find other ways, at least on your own, to like play cool, <laughs> play cool. And, and kind of like find a way, find your way back, you know, you're, right. if you're, you know, and I think that a lot of relationships get cut short because of a miscommunication right. or, you know, catching someone at the wrong moment. And, you know, like right. you text someone like, Hey, it was great to meet you. And they're like getting chewed out by their boss at work. And they're like, sure. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. And, Cause they're just like in something else. You yeah, don't always yeah. know that. And so I think like being able to recover from stuff and that resilience.
0: I like um, that. Yeah. Well, this is great, Buzzy. How can people find you?
1: My Twitter is at Buzztronics and you can get a peek inside my brain um, and what drives my wife crazy, at Buzztronics with two Zs and a CS.
0: And people um, can find your book on yeah. Audible.
1: Yep. It's called Get Ready and it's on Audible. And uh, if you have uh, Audible credits it is available now. You get to hear me reading it, which is super fun. And
0: I feel like people should know that when you're listening to Buzzy Cohen on Audible, it's really it's much more enjoyable at 1.2 speed.
1: <laughs> A little faster.
0: You know, it sounds exactly like you sound right now. Right. Because well, when I started listening to one, I was like, this isn't the same person that was on TV. The person on TV was like snappy. Yeah, and... well,
1: we're not as used to ingesting information through our ears anymore. So I kind of kept having to slow down so I wasn't eating words.
0: So here's what I love about audiobooks. I love audiobooks that are read by the author. However, I, especially when it's autobiographies or like books like yours, like self-help, I feel like I have this relationship with this person after that does not exist. I don't know you in real life now. I know you, but like, you know, it's it's like, oh, it's like a very one-sided relationship. And I caught myself, I mean... In terms of audiobooks, my favorite one is um, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. Mm -hmm. Just watching him do all the accents while he's reading his autobiography is just incredible. I also like Michelle Obama's Becoming. Mm -hmm. But um, Amy Poehler's book, Yes, Please, that (laughs) book teamed me up for like three months because I genuinely thought we were friends after. Like just the way, (laughs) the way, the stuff that she talks about and her speaking style. I was like in. And I happened to listen to um, Kirsten Gillibrand's book Off the Sidelines Mm -hmm. a few years ago, I think in like 2016. And I remember finding out that that wasn't her. And then when I saw her on TV, I was like, oh, this voice does not match the audible voice. (laughs) Like, yeah, this is not my friend. I, I was very confused. By like the whole situation, so I, I get what you're saying. I I, I really appreciated you um, reading your own book. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I you know I I wrote it knowing that I was going to read it, so I tr- tried to really make right. it in my voice. But I do think like especially I talk a lot about job interviews because those are in, in as examples in the book because those tend to be high stakes. But you know, as Van Wilder says, first dates are interviews. You know, and I think of that course they are. Yeah, th- yeah, I think there's a lot to be, I think, you know, there's kind of something for everyone, I hope in this, in this audiobook. So I hope, I hope you got a lot out of it. And I think there's, yeah, I think there's a lot. Yeah.
0: I think there's a lot to learn in terms of like active listening, problem solving, and like what you said, like just not just the preparing, but recovery,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, like
0: there's, there's a lot there that I really enjoyed. And you know, like I said, you know, the three components to a great first date is expectations, location, and conversation. And I feel like all those three things are met in this, in your book, Get yeah. Ready. Thank you again, Buzzy. Thank you for um, having this is me, great. this is a blast. To learn more about Buzzy Cohen, you can follow him on Twitter at Buzztronics. You can also purchase his book on Audible. Uh, the book is called Get Ready. Thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you love what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts seriously. Rate, review, subscribe. You know the drill. If you have a dating or relationship question, visit askamatchmaker.com. You can follow me on Instagram at matchmaker Maria for more dating and relationship tips. Until then, see you next week.